Hello and welcome to another episode of The Growth Podcast. I am your host, Matt Bellotti, and I am really excited today to be joined by Kate Athmer, who's VP of Growth at Bombora. And we are going to dive into the topic of intent data, using intent data on growth teams for marketing campaigns, experiments, and how you can think about that. So we're going to kind of go from top to bottom. And Kate, thanks so much for joining here today. Thanks for having me, Matt. A quick intro to myself. I'm Kate VP of growth at Bombora. It's like my title was purpose made for this podcast. But for those of you who aren't familiar with Bombora, it is the leading provider of B2B intent data. And then my title as VP at growth is a really fun role there. I work with the sales and the marketing team to do everything from demand gen, so getting the leads in, um, to helping the SDR team sort of know what to do with them and get them to convert into sales meetings. And getting a lot of feedback from the sales team too in terms of what their needs are and what kind of content and messaging they need to uh, actually seal the deal. So I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk about all things growth. Absolutely. And it's it's extra fun because you're doing growth at a company that people purchase to do growth type stuff. So uh, it kind of lines up really well. So one of the core things I want to dig into here is all around intent data and how to use it and how to think about it. Can you just like define intent data for folks listening if they don't have a good concept of exactly what it means? So intent data comes in a couple different flavors. So let's start with first party intent data because most people are using that even if they don't call it that. So data about what people are doing when they visit your website. So uh, if you have Marketo, for example, or HubSpot, you've got the marketing automation platform that's doing the tracking or, or Drift. It's paying attention to what people are engaging with on your own website. And enough of that information, probably not just one interaction, but enough signals, enough interactions on your website Typically, marketers translate that into some sort of signal of intent. And and a lot of times that's what pushes something to an MQL, for example. So we call that first party intent. The industry typically calls that first party intent. So it's whatever's happening on your own website. And then there's third party intent data, which is what's happening everywhere else. So I like to call it lead scoring the internet. So paying attention to what your prospects or your prospect accounts are doing off your website before they even get to your website, on other websites, on competitors' websites, um, and aggregating all of that data to understand when somebody is looking to buy. So in a simple sentence, (laughs) intent data is just information that's gathered, data gathered from the internet about what people are doing that potentially signals an intent to take an action, hopefully to purchase your product. Yep. And most growth marketing teams and product teams out there are generally leveraging the first party data, which is like you were saying, all the data that you already have through your existing systems. And we're seeing more and more companies layering on that third party type data. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, how a, you know, let's say a, a, you know, growth team uh, or marketing team could be using intent data? Like what what are the types of things that I could do that I couldn't otherwise do if I had it? Yeah, definitely. So I think there's a ton of things you can do with intent data. And there's a lot of our prospects and customers are are sometimes overwhelmed with getting started. And so um, there's a couple ways that we typically encourage people to, first of all, to start small, um, but a couple key ways to start. um, I think if you're, for the marketers listening, you're typically used to 
the question of, okay, if we buy this, how is this going to drive revenue? Um, that's always the question. Um, intent data can be used to improve email open rates, but no CFO is going to say, great, approved, your email open rates are through the roof. So I think it's really important, especially for companies that are limited resources, typically growth stage companies are, are pretty, pretty tightly strapped. Getting started with a use case that's going to involve sales or the SDR team is is what we recommend. And account prioritization with the rise of ABM, people have these account lists that are like 6,000 accounts, and then they have three SDRs to work them. And it's like, there's no way that SDRs can work all of those accounts. So our number one use case that we recommend is figuring out a way to use the intent data within your existing sales process to help the SDR team or the sales team prioritize which accounts to work. Put the 4,000 accounts that aren't ready to buy aside. Let the intent data tell you to, to put those on the back burner, let them simmer, um, and really focus on the, the accounts, probably 15% of your target accounts that are actually in market at any time. So that's the number one use case and the number one kind of way to get started that I typically recommend. If you are not in a position where you're working with an SDR team or if you're your marketing um, or your marketing agency, display is another great use case for that. So prioritizing which accounts you want to target with display, advertising to, to make the most of that budget. That's kind of where we steer people if they're like, we don't interact with sales at all. We're not measured to revenue. We just want our marketing to perform way better. Great. Target your display. And I guess display shouldn't be limited to just display. Like social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, those count too in that bucket. So um, just using it to, to figure out where to best target your ads and what those ads should say. Yep. Yep. So, so starting points, figuring out who you should actually reach out to out of the universe of, of who you could, and then display ads as, as another method. And I, I'd imagine that, you know, if you're thinking about even more advanced use cases, I'm thinking about how we use uh, third party intent data at Drift, you can start to you know, not just customize the display content, but you could also start to customize the content that shows up on the homepage, right? One of the things that we did was we used third-party intent data to change the value prop wording or the images or the, you know, the graphics that showed up on the homepage, given what those types of accounts were looking for on the internet. Yes, definitely. Especially if you're an organization where you have a couple of different products that you sell, and you can make your topic buckets. Topics are like keywords, but better. If you can make your topic buckets around those products, and then if someone is showing a lot of intent in a particular topic bucket that you've created, make sure that they see that product part of the website. Like they should start there, start them with the product that they're looking for. And, you know, maybe don't even give them the whole menu of what you offer. They'll, they can go find that if they want to, but yeah. To your point, serve up the messaging related to the product that, that they're researching. Just anything to make the buying process better these days. <laughs> make it faster. Make it easier. Help them find what they need right away. If you have those signals and if you have that personalization information at your fingertips and you're not using it, the buyers are probably going to be frustrated. Yeah. And I, I think about you know some of the folks listening here are definitely on marketing teams some are also on product teams. And I think about how you can use third-party intent data in the product, right? Similar to how you can alter or change the content on the website. You can alter or change the experience maybe in something like a free trial, right? And you can be more likely to serve up 
um, you know, a specific action in the product or a way to connect to a salesperson. If you know that they have higher intent and just beyond like product usage. One of the things that um, I was talking to on this podcast, one of the engineering managers on the growth team at Airtable, and she talked a lot about how they do human in the loop type work in their self-service product. And so it's all about identifying when out of the free user base, uh, somebody is ready to purchase, right? You could just send them through like self-purchase flows, but you can do way more to loop in a salesperson. If you know that there's higher likelihood that this person is going to not just buy a $10 license, but purchase a, you know, $3,000 license for a whole team. Yeah, it definitely. It, it's, it, it always keeps coming back to prioritization, but it's like, who, who do we, who do we spend the most time? Who's, who's actually not going to be turned off by a sales call, but is actually ready for it. Um, I think that, yeah, that's, that's definitely, that's the biggest reason for intent data is figuring out who to talk to and, and when to talk to them. Yeah. And one of the things you were saying about uh, when customers are getting started with intent data, that they often enter this world where there's so many things that we could do uh, and, and it's overwhelming and they maybe try to boil the ocean and do everything at once with all the data. Are there like very clear mistakes that you see teams doing? Like I'm thinking, you know, if I'm listening to this podcast uh, and I'm considering like, let's get rolling with some intent data. What else should I be aware of or look out for so that I don't make a mistake and waste, you know, two months of everybody's time? I think the number one mistake is a marketing team buying intent data and just expecting that the sales team is going to be head over heels for it. And like chomping at the bit to see every bit of the intent data and to get, um, to have score information available for every single account that's in their name and that, that they're just going to pour over this data and extract insights and be really strategic with all this intent data. And the, like, that's just not the reality of most sales organizations. So I think the, the way we've seen people have the most success there is actually just, again, starting small, but sometimes piloting it with a couple of sales reps and giving them 10 accounts a week. Like here are 10 accounts that should be ready to talk to you to, that seem very interested. They're showing interest in not just one topic, but they're showing interest in a whole bunch of topics all related to what we sell. Like these are the 10 accounts, regardless of whatever else you do this week, you can at least call these 10 accounts, right? And starting, starting that small, getting those reps buy-in. One of those reps lands a deal like that first week from those 10 accounts, like everyone else is going to be like, give me that data. So that's, I think starting small is, is definitely important. And then the more you can do to incorporate it. And this is where like RevOps or, or marketing apps, people are, are heroes. The more you can incorporate it into the process that sales is already familiar with and already using the better. And hopefully they have a good process because if not, everything's going to be messy anyway, but Put it into the sales process, get the data where they're used to seeing it. Um, some people even, um, Code Science actually is one of these people. They put the data into their account scoring model and sales doesn't need to pay attention to what the data means. Sales doesn't need to know what the score is. They just know that it was factored into whatever the scoring model that they've created that surfaced the best accounts for them to call. So they know the data is in there, but they don't have to know how it works. They don't have to learn something new. They're just like, okay, my AQL list is better now. 
But um, that's, I think that's a, a really just being thoughtful about not disrupting the sales process is, is pretty important. Yep. So it's, it's, it sounds like don't overwhelm everyone with all the data. There's a good approach that you could take that gets the data in the right place for people to leverage it. Like that's a good starting point rather than just trying to like coat the data across your entire marketing and tech stack. It's better to get a, a couple clear use cases in place across your stack and then roll it out to additional tools. Yeah, definitely. Cool. How long, so, you know, a lot of growth marketing teams like to operate as fast as they can. Uh, and, and so, you know, a thought that comes to mind is how long does it take to actually get rolling with this sort of data? You know, we just talked about how you can get the data in, in a specific use case, but am I, if I'm going to pick up any third party data tool, am I looking at like a couple days of setup and, and get going? Or am I looking at a couple months? Like what's the, what's the timeline here? How do I factor that into my growth process? Well, a lot of that's going to depend on the process on your side and then also which tool you acquire. So Bombora is just data. We sell intent data and we give it to you in either in one of, we have like 25 integrations. So you can just get it automatically through one of those. Um, we have a bunch of partners. You can literally just get it in a spreadsheet every week delivered to you. If, if um, we, we actually have um, some data science teams, that's their preferred way because it just goes into their CDP and magic happens. Um, we can give it to you via an API feed. So it's really like, how do you want the data? Where do you want it to live? Do you want it in your marketing automation platform? Do you want it in your CRM? Do you want it just straight? I could pull you a report right now, send you an Excel file, and you could give it to your SDR team to work. So you could start in literally 10 minutes if you want. But like I said, it's better to put it into the process, warm, warm the sales team up a bit to it. So, so maybe like a month or two, depending on um, how quickly your revenue ops team can work. So if you're going into a marketing automation or CRM, for example, sometimes people have these massive Salesforce backlogs and, and they start one way and then they switch another way. If you're buying it from, um, we, we, well, we have a couple partners um, that provide intent data. If you're buying it from somebody else where the intent data is already part of the platform, it's going to take a lot longer because multiple people have to learn a whole new platform. So um, I think you probably can think of a couple ABM platforms that might have that intent data in it. And and yeah, the, the onboarding there really varies because it's it's a new tool versus just integrating into your existing systems and processes. Are there any, you know, thinking about some of the ways that your customers are using the data that you provide, are there any like really interesting, unique ways that you've seen like, oh, I didn't think that someone might use it that way. Does anything come to mind? So we actually um, just just media, which is, I believe now just global. They did a with I'm not sure if I can say the name of the client, so I'll blind it. But they did um, they did an exercise where they established a baseline of Bombora's intent data for uh, topics related to that business. And then they ran an awareness campaign for their clients. So like display advertising, just like really when you think like just an awareness campaign, not even lead gen, just like billboards, and <laughs> display ads, um, that type of stuff. They ran that campaign. And then after about six months of that campaign running, like really in earnest, they again looked at the intent data to see if they could measure a lift with the intent data. And they could. So they were able to essentially prove the value of 
an awareness campaign, which traditionally you just don't measure. You're like, we know it works, but we can't prove it works. Um, so they were actually able to prove that it worked. So that was pretty cool. Now, like, I don't recommend that for most of our growth customers because your budgets aren't big enough. <laughs> My budget's not big enough. So that's a, that's a pretty, uh, a very large organization type use case where they've got like, you know, millions of dollars a month in, in awareness advertising budget, like think like Coca-Cola. So it wasn't them, but it, like that size organization, it's, it's pretty big organizations with pretty big media budgets. So that was a fun one. Not one we see every day, not one that happens too often, but it is, it's, it's cool. And it, and it shows that the, like that intent data is really able to measure a lot of valuable information. And I imagine that there's also tons of scrappy ways that you can, you know, if you think about any of the tools that you're using today to, you know, you're running experiments, whether that's email or like you were saying, display or stuff in the product, like there, I'm sure with somebody with a creative mind can like find ways to leverage it in all those little moments. Yeah. Another um, really powerful way to use it that we actually I'm surprised like I'm surprised more people don't do this but um, getting the data into the hands of your customer success leader to just look at every week and see if any of your current customers are researching competitors or topics related to competitors or topics related to other products you sell that they haven't yet bought so looking for the churn prevention in there but also looking for the the um, upsell opportunity. Um, trying to remember the name. One of our customers recently actually purchased from us because our rep was doing a demo and he pulled a report and he said, are any of these accounts familiar to you? And the prospect said, oh yes, this one is actually a customer of ours. And so the rep dove into the data and he said, this customer of yours is researching like three of your competitors right now. And the guy's like, okay, like, oh, shoot, I have to go. Like, let's uh, revisit this next week. He goes, they, they do the whole thing. They, they save the customer. Um, and he's like, so he comes back and he's like, saving that one customer based on this sample report you gave during a demo call, like that paid for this product. So here's the money. Like, I'm ready to buy Bombora's data. It's already paid for itself. So that's I, like, that happens. That's real. And it's super, like, it's probably the most straightforward way to use the data, but I think customer success teams. So any of you customer success people out there listening, they're not usually the first people that are coming for intent data. Like usually customer success is not requesting a demo on our page, but they should be because like, that's the best way to hit your renewal quota. Yep. Reten- right. Most people think about it with a starting point and sales, but the retention play to understand who you need to retain and how and how you can upsell them. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm I am surprised not as many people use it for that. Cool. So one one last question, something we were talking about before we, we hopped onto the recording here was this whole switch to a cookie world and how a lot of marketing folks and growth folks are a little spooked about it and what it means for their use of data and you know, the ability to leverage cookies and, and all that. Could you speak to that a little bit and maybe put some people people's minds at ease? Well, advertising's not going away, so we know that. Um, I think that there, I guess it depends on which area we, we want to put people at ease. It's definitely like cookies, cookies are going away. That's real. So it's not fake. It's not going to change their mind um, at this point. 
there's a lot of other data that you can use for targeting people. Um, I think in the B2C space, it's probably a lot scarier. In the B2B space, like you know it, we're used to pursuing accounts. So a lot of what we're doing advertising-wise is account-based anyway. It doesn't necessarily rely on cookies. There's a lot of other ways to identify an account and to serve ads to them. Intent data is not generated using cookies. So we have a, a very diverse account identification tool set. And so company surge data and, and Bambora's intent data will not go away. We also have, um, we do have advertising solutions that people use to target um, using our data. And because we have such an extensive co-op, we have 4,000 different publishers. So then all of their properties are part of our co-op. We have this huge collection of publishers that we can work with to come up with identification solutions as well. So I would say look for sustainable ways to advertise in the future um, and look for sustainable ways to get intent data in the future and and places that have co-ops or these good relationships opted in compliant GDPR compliant relationships. Those are going to be places where you will be able to find the gold once the actual cookie finally goes away. And we've been preparing for this for years. I mean, they've been talking about it for years. Bambora has been adding all these different identifiers for years. Like when it happens, we're ready. All right. Anything else that you feel like you want to touch on that we didn't get a chance to cover here? Oh, man, I'm trying to think. I mean, I, th I guess I would say like just to reiterate the the point about intent data doesn't have to be complicated and intent data doesn't have to be super complex. And yes, we have people that are using intent data through every bit of their sales and marketing strategy. And it's the foundation and they have a data science team and they have a CDP and they have all this stuff that a growth company with 500 employees is like, okay, next year, like we're almost there. I mean, there's so there's only 500 person companies that are there now too, but like even the 200 person companies, like we're, Bramboa is like 200 people. We have a data science team for the data. We don't have a data science team for our marketing strategy though. Like we're doing it the way most people are still doing it. But just getting that little bit of data um, and putting that into your process. I mean, people are expecting, customers are expecting this journey that's like frictionless and talking to them and personalized and the information that they need and none of the crap that they don't need. And so um, marketers are really expected to cater to that and to to be using whatever data they have at their disposal to do that. So I would say, you know, get, start small, get started somewhere, but really you can't just rely on the data on your website. So make, make sure you're making use of, of data that you can get from other compliant, sustainable sources to make your marketing better, to make your brand presence better, um, and to make your sales team happier, which I think is something everyone's, everyone in marketing is like, how do we make sales want these leads? So talk to, the, talk to them, figure it out, find who's got the budget for it. But um, I really, I do think it's an important, uh, it's an important lever to pull when you're trying to achieve growth quickly. Yeah. Awesome. Kate, well, thank you so much for joining. Really appreciate having you on the podcast. Thank you, Matt. It was a great time. Absolutely. And for everybody listening, thank you for spending your time listening to this. There's plenty more episodes with some amazing folks digging into different tactics and strategies. So check those out. Hit the subscribe button for more in the future. If you're a fan, leave a review. Would really appreciate that. And my email is mattadrift.com if you ever want to reach out about anything. Thank you so much. And I will catch you on the next episode.